0: Thank you so much for being here this morning. We're continuing now with our study of Matthew, which we're going to fly through probably six, ten years. But, well, already, already, I have to admit... I'm thinking when I'm putting this together, well, I'm going to just take chapter one, one week, chapter two, another week, chapter three, another week, chapter four, another week. And I'm already almost finished lesson number five. We're in number three today, and I'm just about completed lesson number five. And lesson number five is like the first half of chapter three. <laughs> but I will say this, and I don't say this apologetically, neither do I say it to pander to people's desire to be fast or slow. I say it because I really do feel this is the way the Lord would do it. The first four chapters, and maybe the introduction to chapter 5, is going to be, these are going to be much slower chapters. Why? Because we're building the foundation. And as if you remember the construction of this church, day after day, week after week, it looked like when you looked on the surface, what? Nothing is happening. It took such a time to build the foundation of this place. I mean, come on, when will they get to something that we can, what, see above ground? Some of you remember those days? Bill, remember that? I mean, just, it's never going to happen. Then once the foundation was set, then they started putting in the structure on top of it. Things began to move. And I do believe that's what's going to happen with us. Not in order to fly through the word, but I think that that will move us along. And again, that's not apology. It's not trying to go fast or slow. I think that's just what's going to happen. So to let you know kind of what's ahead. Father, thank you so much for this word. Father, I pray and we pray together that this word will become to us more important Than any social media activity. Father it will come. To be more important to us. Than any news event. Father than any sports activity. Father that it will become more important than. Our work. Even our families. Because we remember father Jesus said. If you don't love me more than these. You're not loving me with the love with which I love you. So, Father, as we continue this morning, continue to imbue our hearts. Father, continue to excite us. Father, continue to illumine us, encourage us, motivate us, empower us to be your people of your word. Father, so that the word of God in us may come out of us as the God of the word. So that your will, your purpose for saving us may be more and more accomplished and demonstrated as we are being conformed to the image of your son as the Holy Spirit takes this food of life And serves it to us. And as we reciprocally receive that food, take it in and walk according to that food. For one purpose. That the world may know and that the heavens may declare. That Jesus is Lord. Father, to your glory and to your honor. We thank you for this. We trust, Father, and ask this morning's word of teaching, as always, will be led by your spirit, and will honor your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, we learned that the first 17 verses of chapter 1 of Genesis, I'm sorry, you see, there it is, all right, there it is. I'm telling you, in my mind, I really mean this, in my mind, every book of the Bible has Genesis written across it. It really does. I, that's, that's how I see the word. Every book has Genesis written across it. And so for the first 17 verses of chapter 1 of Matthew, I think it's Matthew, what Matthew has done, remember, has connected us to the Genesis Remember the generation of Jesus Christ, the word Biblios and the word Genesis right there in the Greek in the first couple of words of the first verse connected us to Genesis. And those first 17 verses, Matthew has used as a bridge connecting Genesis to the incarnation. And so Matthew now is, has announced the coming of God's Messiah King through the Old Testament as he has taken 17 verses and has... Gathered together, and if you would uh, collapse the entire Old Testament history into just seventeen verses, that's what he's doing here. He has gathered together and has collapsed, if you would, all of the revelation and the work and the prophecy and the promises and the ministry, etc., of God from the very beginning of Adam and Eve's sin to the very end of Malachi. He has Micah, rather. He has. Malachi, He has collapsed it all to show that everything that has happened since the sin of man has been anticipating, announcing, and guaranteeing the coming of my Messiah King. Amen? That's how you see the Old Testament. See it that way, and then it will become meaningful to you by the Holy Spirit. So this morning now we get into the announcement of God's Messiah, not as an Old Testament prophecy to be looked forward to, but as the accomplishment of the entire Old Testament. Now he who has been prophesied from the very beginning and all of that prophecy, including all the um, sacrifices, including all the law, including all the ceremony, including all of the civil regulations, including all of it. He who has been prophesied, anticipated, and guaranteed. Now Matthew in verse 18 begins to declare, he's here, he's here. And so let's look at verse 18 to 225 this morning. We're only going to take verse 18 to to verse 25, but then chapter 2 is a continuation of what has begun in verse 18. As in the first 17 verses, have announced the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. This particular section, verse 18 to the end of chapter 2, announces the birth of Jesus as Matthew constructs this section with five scriptural references. Remember, what Matthew does, he is showing us and proving that this one who is now coming into the world, is the one who has been regularly prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And so he takes five scriptural Old Testament references to structure the birth of Jesus or the announcement of Jesus' birth into the world. That's how this next section is formed. Again, it's imperative for us to understand this is not just Matthew telling us something, not just Matthew pointing to some events, But Matthew is pointing to those events in history that have been prophesied hundreds and even thousands of years before. So that what we see in these events, we know is the work of God because God beforehand said these things would happen. And when you see this happening, you will know that this is the fulfillment of my promise. Amen. So that's how we're traveling through this. And so if you look at the little outline, verses 18 to 23 this morning, we're going to talk about the birth of the Messiah King, and then Numbers 2 through 5 will follow through next week. So let's look at verses 18 to 25. The betrothal of Mary and Joseph in the light of Isaiah 7.14. How do you like that? I left my Bible in the other room. But somebody read Isaiah 7.14. Does somebody have that already open, Isaiah 7.14? You might already know it. Something about a virgin will conceive in seven fourteen of Isaiah. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. I'm not going to go into the details of how God gave that to A. a Ahaz, and why he gave it, and how it was immediately fulfilled at that time. But what Matthew does, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew takes a prophecy. That specifically is applied in one way at that time of the giving of the prophecy. And the Holy Spirit shows, look, this is the way the prophecy was fulfilled in the days of Isaiah with his child. But this also has a greater meaning beyond Isaiah to the birth of my son. So you see, that's how this is working. Because many will look at the word as unbelievers and say, you see, they made a mistake. This had nothing to do with that. Well, specifically, and in the natural realm, it doesn't. But God is not dealing with us through natural means. He's showing in the natural. Here is something that is going to be prophesied and is going to occur. And what is going to occur in Isaiah's life is a picture of what will occur for my people years later. As this one will have a son, my son will also be born of a virgin. So the birth. What does it say? Verse 18. The birth you see the word where I am now in Matthew 18? Now, the birth of Jesus, right? You see that? Okay. Look at the word birth and the the word birth and the phrase with child from the Holy Spirit. Do you see where I am in verse 18? Is everybody with me? Okay. We're in chapter one, Matthew chapter one, verse 18. We have two phrases here I want to show us here. We have the phrase, the birth, and we have the phrase with child from the Holy Spirit. What is this saying? This is saying much more than a child is being born. And it is saying much more than this child is being born by the work of the inspiration of the insemination of the Holy Spirit. It is an announcement that that which was begun in Genesis and as a result of the fall, the original creation, remember, came under the curse because of sin. And God promised, I am going to bring about a new creation. And I am going to bring about that new creation in my Messiah. Remember in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, we had that promise. And so in the words, the birth, and in the words, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, the child from the Holy Spirit. This is God's announcement through Matthew that what we see in the birth of Jesus is the commencement of the new creation. We must see it that way. Don't just see it as the birth of Jesus. The Messiah is here. The Savior's here. And we're moving along. See it as a comprehensive revelation and the outworking of that which God has pr- purposed from the very beginning. Now coming to pass finally in time and in space. The word birth here is in the Greek. The word in the Greek is the same Greek word for the word generations. Remember what that word was? It was the word Genesis. So the word birth here, once again, pointing back to Genesis. This is the new Genesis. This is the Genesis or the beginning of the incarnation where God the Son will take on a humanity, our humanity, and will become the second Adam So the word birth here connects us once again to Genesis. Now, the next phrase explains the Genesis of Jesus. How did it happen? How did this happen? It happened by the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, that's fine. What does that have to do with creation? With child from the Holy Spirit, with this phrase, we are being reminded of God's creation of Adam by the Spirit in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 with child from the Holy Spirit takes us back to the days of Genesis chapter 2, verse remember, 7, and then verse, well, we'll talk about verse 8 in a little bit. And so here's what verse 7 says. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him. Thank you. I should have, I should have brought my Bible have with me. Bible. This is it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, here, here I'm touting how important the Bible is. I don't even have mine with me. Mm. Oh, well. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. And look at the word breathe. Take note of the word breathe. And breathe into his nostrils the breath. Take note of the word breath of life. And the man became a living being. How does the man become a living being? God forms him. God literally, if you would, gets down into the dirt of the ground and he forms as a potter forms his vessel. Remember the potter in, in uh, Jeremiah 18? The potter forming the vessel. God forming his man. And here he is, a, 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 a man without any life in him. And then what does God do? Oh. Oh. he breathes into this man the breath of life. And the man becomes a living soul. Now, that's what's being told to us in verse one, um, verse 18 of Matthew 1. From the Holy Spirit, the child from the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Well, if we look at Job, what is the breath? The breath of God. Job 33.4 says this. That the breath of God is synonymous with the Holy Spirit, and if you know any, and you know anything about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and breath, you will see on many occasions the word Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, the breath of God is synonymous with the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, let me read this: Job thirty-three, four. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And so, what we say with that is that when The word says God breathed into Adam, and that breath caused life to come into him. That is the work and the presence of God's spirit in creation. Remember, God the Father designs and decrees all of this. Then he does it by the work of God the Son in commanding through the word and as the word begins to say let there be this and let there be that and so on that begins now to set into motion the purpose of God and then it is the Holy Spirit who gets in there if you would and begins to hover over the creation you remember in Genesis 1-2 begins to breathe into this this unanimated lump of dirt if you would to become a human being and continues the creative work that was spoken by the Son and purposed by the Father. So you have all three persons of the Trinity involved in any work of any one person of the Trinity. All three are there in some degree. Now, what does this mean, this breath? Well, let me read you a couple or three references here, thinking about the breath and the work of the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, I think we'll be fairly familiar with this, 23 to twenty-twenty. Three to 28. I will, the Lord is speaking to uh, Ezekiel about his people, remember, who were in Babylonian captivity. And the Lord is telling uh, his people through the prophet Ezekiel what he's going to do. I will vindicate the holiness of my name which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. He's talking to the Jewish people. My name has been profaned because of you. And let that be an instruction to us. Only the people of God can profane the name of God in a particular way. Remember what Romans 2.24 says. Because of you, the name of God is blasphemed. You see, all of the sinning that is happening in the world blasphemes the name of God as creator. But the sinning that happens in the church blasphemes the name of God as creator. As our Redeemer, Father. And that's a deep blasphemy. do Do we get that? The world's sin blasphemes the name of God as the creator. Because they know better than to do this because the word of God and the law of God is in their hearts. How do we know that? Romans 1, 19 and 20. But when the church sins, this is a deep, deep blasphemy against the one who sent his son to redeem us from this blasphemous life. So we need to be very careful how we associate with one another and what we say to one another and how we think personally and our lives personally before the Lord. But let us not be so foolish as to think that the sin of the world, same-sex marriages, adulteries, thefts, fornications, Uh, homosexuality, all that out there blasphemes the name of God at one level. But what happens in here, the least, if you would, we may consider it, the least sin in the least believer, if you let me say it that way, to make a point, is more blasphemous to the heart of God than the worst sin of the worst sinner in the world. Do we get that? The least sin of the least believer is worse than the worst sin of the worst believer. I'm sorry, worst person in the world. So let's be careful. And the nations will know so that the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the Lord when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you with clean water, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And how is the Lord going to do this? In the rest of the verses from 26 to 28, the Lord is going to put his spirit within us. He's going to put his spirit within us. He doesn't say, I will do it if you receive Jesus. He doesn't say it, I will do it, if you first believe. He doesn't say it, I will do it, if you call upon me, then I will do that. He doesn't do that. He says, I will, I will, I will. This is what I'm going to do. And all of that going to do this when it happens, moves us to say yes. Do we get that? Okay, now, so you have a description, if you would, of what God is going to do. The the prophecy, the prophet has already said by the spirit of God in 36, God says, here's what I'm going to do by your spirit, my spirit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. All of it's going to be by my spirit. And so we get an example. The Lord says to Ezekiel, essentially, Susan, let me, let me tell you what's, let me give you a picture of what that's going to look like. Oh, okay. That'll help me. So we go to chapter 37, the very next chapter. And here's what we read in the first 10 verses. And I've truncated them. Prophesy to the to the breath. Remember the bones out there? Speak the word of God, and as prophecy began to go forth and the word of God begins forth, all the bones begin to collect. All of them come together. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, Prophesy to the breath. To the breath. Oh, the same breath of Genesis, the same work of the Spirit in Matthew one hundred eighteen. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds. Look, 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 remember, winds, from the winds, remember that word winds, come from the four winds. Oh, breathe and on and breathe on these slain so that they may, what, live. And the breath of God came into this, if you would, I don't know whether I suppose to call it body, and it became a living soul in Genesis 2-7. And in the same way now, the breath of God is coming into this army of bones and flesh and sinew. So I prophesied as he commanded me in verse 10, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. The wind of God. Look, the four winds, the wind blows. Where do you hear that terminology And Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it will, and you don't know much about it, but this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he says in verse 3 of John 3, if you're going to see the kingdom of God, you must what? Be born again. And in verse 7, I say unto you, you must be born again. What does that mean? Born again is the term that Jesus uses to give us the understanding or the reference to what is happening in chapter 37 as an example of the prophecy in chapter 36. Do you see how it all comes together? It is the work of the Holy Spirit, the breathing of God into our hearts, into our minds. So when Matthew says this child is from the Holy Spirit, He is remembering and collecting and gathering into himself a mighty revelation that from the very beginning God breathed into one man and God continues to breathe into his people. The revelation of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament anticipating the coming of the Messiah and in the New Testament receiving and seeing the Messiah crucified buried, risen, exalted, and now we have that same work of God who breathed into those people, giving them new life revelation. Now we have it by the Spirit. Amen? You see, there's a continuity, a continuance, a comprehensive work here of God from the very beginning and throughout the history. The word Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. The word Christos, remember, means anointed. It is the word also in the Hebrew for Messiah, The word Christ has to do with Jesus being the anointed second Adam. And so when you see the word Christos, Jesus Christ, every time you see the word Christ, remember that has to do specifically biblically. The terminology has to do with he who was anointed by God through the Holy Spirit to become the second Adam who would redeem us from the results of the first Adam's sin and rescue us and take us out of that and take us back to what God had originally purposed so that from the garden man was expelled so that in another garden the man overcomes a temptation in another garden that Adam succumbed to in the first garden and as a result of that And going to the cross and dying and being raised up, the effects of that one man's obedience in that garden, having had it all his life and coming to fruition in that garden, that one man's obedience now wins for him the right to declare us as God's people through the forgiveness of God. Amen? Yes. The word Christ then is anointed. To be set aside by God for his special work as signified by the pouring out of the oil of anointing. Remember the picture of the Holy Spirit. We saw that when um, Aaron and his sons and, and, and all the other priests what are anointed. Oil is poured on them, and oil in the Old Testament is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the presence and work and the ministry and the setting aside and the empowerment of the Spirit upon that man on whom the oil is poured for the purposes of God. That is the anointing. The Hebrew word is the word for Messiah, It is the word for Messiah. And so when the word Messiah is used, it means one who is anointed. And it takes on a special meaning when it's talked about the Messiah, Mm -hmm. the anointed one, which is the Greek Christos, from which we get Christ. So Jesus is the anointed of God to fulfill the first Adam's responsibilities. How? By inaugurating the kingdom of God upon the earth. He is anointed to inaugurate the kingdom. He is anointed to do what Adam refused to do, which was what? Genesis one twenty six to be the image bearer of God. And how was that to function? How was that to work out in a practical wor- way on the world? Genesis 1.28. Remember what? Subdue, rule, fill. Remember that? The earth so that the entire earth may come under the dominion and rule of God through his anointed human agent who will rule this world in the name and for the purposes of God as he has a people of obedience coming from him, his progeny. That failed because of Genesis 3, 6, and he ate and he sinned. And so God is bringing us back to that through the birth of this second Adam. So, therefore, with the birth of the Genesis of Jesus, what has happened with the birth of Jesus? The new Genesis has begun. Or I would say it this way: word regeneration. All of you are familiar with the word regeneration. We said this before. When you the word re, that's a what pre what fix. fix. It's added to the beginning of that word to kind of give it a different flavor of what the word would mean by itself. So what is the word regeneration? Generations. What word do we see in there? Genesis. Genesis a re-Genesis. This is a new Genesis. This is the new creation, and we are going to be born into this new creation as we are breathed upon by the Holy Spirit, as he did in Adam, the first man of the first generation, the, the original generation. Now, because of this new Adam whom God has breathed upon by his Spirit, having birthed him, and we'll see next time that he breathes upon him by his spirit at the, uh, the, um, the Jordan River. Now we are the progeny of this second Adam. As the Adam, first one was to have his kids, now, if you would, we're the kids of, the second, uh, of, of God through the second Adam. Joseph and Mary, uh, in verses 19 to 21, Joseph is the son of uh, David in keeping with the prophecy. Listen to the prophecy in Isaiah 11, 1 through 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? He's David's dad. Okay. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, you probably have heard that verse in other places and we will probably repeat it in a little bit. And you will call, look at verse 21. Matthew 121 is very, very, very important. Why? Because the angel is telling Joseph, here is the purpose of this child who is conceived in the womb of this virgin who is to be your wife. What is his purpose? Why has God done this? He's done it by and I'll tell you how he's done it. The angel says, you're going to call his name Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua, or Joshua. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. Remember? Now, why will God save us from our sin through this Yeshua? In order, Colossians 1.13, to deliver us out of the domain of darkness And transferring us into the kingdom of his dear son. And why is he transferring us into the kingdom of his dear son? So that his original purpose for us in Genesis creation may be reestablished and may come to fruition. As I keep saying, everything about our Bible comes out of and has to do with the first three chapters of Genesis. Without those three chapters under your belt, you will miss an enormous amount of revelation and understanding and the excitement of how the Word of God functions. Well, what is it about the name of Jesus? We've said this before. <clears throat> the word Jesus, remember uh, in, in, in uh, Numbers 13, Moses, Lieutenant his associate, his Timothy, if you would. What is his name? In Numbers 13, his name is Hosea. Remember, his name is Hosea. Numbers 13, that's his name, Hosea. Huh. Nobody ever told me that. Well, look in Numbers 13. I think it's verse 10. Could be wrong. 13, 13, 16. And it says this, And Moses named Hosea Yahshua or Joshua. See, the Lord gave him a revelation. Change his name. Why? Because, you see, Joshua is the one who will take the people from the wilderness into the promised land. Well, what is it about the name change? The name was a revelation of the work of God. And so his name now is a combination of two names, Yah. Where do we see the word Yah, the name of Yah, first mentioned in the Bible as a name specifically? Exodus 3, 14. Give me your name. I need to know your name so the people will know who you are and your purpose and your power. And he says, you shall tell them that Yah hath sent you. J A O J A H. Yah hath sent you. This is the name of God. Therefore, Elijah, all the J-A-H at the end of so many names, it's a personal name of God. This is my name. And then the name Hosea means what? Deliverer or salvation. Deliverer. So when you put the name of Yah and Hosea together and you come out with Yahosea or Yahshua, however that would be pronounced in the Hebrew, you're coming up with the name and God is giving us a name, I am the deliverer. The name of Jesus says, I am the great eternal I am of the burning bush. I, the one and the God of the Old Testament, whom you see active in all the work, of God in the Old Testament, it is stated over 6,300 times with the word L-O-R-D, remember the capitalized word, it is the word Yah or Yahweh, and this is the God of the Old Testament. He is now born into a stable, having come into humanity through taking to himself the body and soul of a human. So Jesus is the anglification or is the English way of saying that. And he comes to what? To fulfill. The word fulfill there you see in verses 20 and 23, 22 to 23, is used several times. To fulfill, to fulfill, to fulfill. In other words, to go back and connect the Old Testament to what we're doing now. The virgin, as I said, this whole idea of a virgin. Why a virgin? Well, I've heard many stories about, well, if it isn't, then, you know, conception through a male and it brings in the sin nature. I think so. Yes, I go with that. I agree with that. But there's something much more basic than that. So don't think about why was she a virgin just because it has to do with the sin nature. It has to do much more with the helplessness of humanity to do anything of a salvific matter in their lives. And it is absolutely showing that we are totally, completely dependent upon the incoming interventional work of God in us and so when mary is conceived by the holy spirit we have pictures of this in genesis 1130 sarah is barren she doesn't have any children she has to be work of miracle has to happen in her in order for her to bear a son in the same way as Mary. Except the picture of the Old Testament is picturing that which will happen in the New. The difference is in the Old it will happen through the normal physical union of a man and a woman. But in the New Testament it will happen through the Holy Spirit coming upon this woman apart from the physical union of a man. In Genesis 25, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Why? Because she was what? Barren. Another picture, Genesis 29, 31. Rachel, remember Jacob's wife? Remember Leah and Rachel? She was what? Barren. She had no children. And then finally, 1 Samuel 1, 2. Hannah had no children. And who became Hannah's son? Samuel. And so you see, you have these four pictures of barren women. So when we look at the word virgin as referencing Mary, Let us remember that the Holy Spirit has been telling us in the Old Testament, this is the way I'm going to bring forth this child. I'm going to bring him forth in a way that is miraculous, in a way that you, humanity, had nothing of ability to accomplish this. This will be the unilateral work of the Holy Spirit and this, is again, is another way to see or another picture of how we're born again. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Has he conceived physically the birth of Jesus, the, the child Jesus, you know, the embryo of Jesus? In the same way, he births us into his kingdom by the unilateral work of the Spirit to which and with which we agree, having been given the gift of faith to receive it, Ephesians two eight. It's not the result of Mary saying, please conceive, please conceive. I want to know you. I want to know you. Please conceive. No. It's the work of God doing it. And then when he is doing that, then we begin to have a desire. I want to know you. I want to know you. Who are you? Save me. You see, the desire is there, but it comes as a result of the conception work of the Holy Spirit in me, in my soul, that generates in me a desire not to be going to hell, but a desire to know God. Amen? That's how that happens. That's why we say in the doctrines of grace, this is the Which which letter would that be? Bill, I forget. T U L I I I Irresistible Grace. Why irresistible? It's not that we can't resist; it's that we don't want to resist, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you don't want to resist anymore. All you're not wanting in resistance is out of the window. It's gone. All that's left in me, in my heart, in my mind is yes, yes, yes. That's why. That's what that irresistible means. It doesn't deny, well, no, I don't want you, Jesus. No, you're not going to do that. Why? Because the love of God, when it touches my barren, broken, cold heart and begins to change me on the inside, all of a sudden the love of God takes a hold of my heart and my mind and my being, and I want this for the first time in my life. That's what irresistible grace is all about. See, that's why Reformed theology is at the heart of what God is doing here. And I connected this way again because I know people have had struggles with it. But look at the theology that we went through in those classes when Bill taught them, the doctrines of grace, right here in our face from the very beginning in Genesis and over the generations and the generations and the generations. It's God, 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 God. God, and we could go all through the, the, uh, the T-U-L-I-P, which we kind of like and we kind of don't like the, uh, the, the acronym there, but we use it to show that every one of these five issues is present collectively in every act of God in and for his people. Amen? They are all gathered collectively in every act of God in and through and for his people. A child. Who is this child? A child's going to be born. She's going to see a child. Conceive. Unto us a child. Remember Isaiah 9, 6, 7. A child is born and to us a son is given. What? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. You see, if you're bemoaning the fact that Trump is in and you're bemoaning that Hillary isn't, or had Hillary won, you're bemoaning that Hillary is in and Trump isn't. Let me say something to you. God is going to govern this nation and this world. And nothing, no matter who it is in the throne of man, will trump overcome, if you would, or will Hillary overcome, if you would. Isn't that interesting? Will not. God has the last say so. So let's set aside for those who are Trumpites, and let's set aside for those who are Hillaryites, let's set it all aside and know that Jesus is coming back and he rules in heaven and he will, will. Have his day. And he will have his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let us be delivered of the idolatry of the flesh. Let's be delivered from it. And so there are people in here who are praising God because of Trump. And are bemoaning to God because. Let's put it away because all of it is idolatry. All of it is. All of it is. Come on church. All of it is. All of it is. And of the increase of his government, of his government, not Democrats and Republicans and Independents, but his government, and the peace, there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I remember zeal, the zeal of a man in John 2.17 who went in and cleansed the temple and you have defiled my father's house. You brought the wilderness in, but I'm here to clean it out so it will be a house of righteousness and prayer for all nations. Emmanuel finally, his name will be called Emmanuel, the consummate and and purpose of God, he and his people living face to face, revelation 22: four and they will see His face. Finally, the purpose of God is completely and forever fulfilled in the birth of his Son and to be realized in fullness at the second coming of Jesus with the establishment of new heaven and new earth. And then finally, the last two verses, Joseph and Mary obeyed the Lord, and he married. Mary. Next week, we'll go into chapter 2. Thank you.